Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to Season 9 of the Firetime Podcast. Guys, it is wild to be here. And I I think about this, you know, we run two seasons of the podcast a year. And so jumping into season nine means that four years ago, the podcast started. And that really blows my mind. I mean, I'm thinking about this for those of you who have been listening from the beginning, you know, it's like you're graduating high school and we're moving on to college of the podcast. And, you know, for me hosting it, my life has been profoundly changed by being able to to do this and to be able to talk with both guests and folks who listen. And I, I hope that it's done the same for you. And this season is going to be really special. I spent a lot of time thinking about what are we going to try to accomplish this season. Every year during the in-between time of the podcast while we're going through our rapid reaction Firetime Magazine episodes, I'm always trying to brainstorm what's going to be next. And for this season, I really want to focus on different phases of careers. And so the first third of this season, roughly, is going to be conversations with up-and-coming leaders in our industry. So these are folks who are generally younger, but people who I would say are still very much on the upward trajectory. The mid part of the season, we're going to be talking with peak performers. And it's not that they don't have upside left, but you know, peak performers are folks who have really found their stride and they are running at full speed in their excellence. Again, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but they really are a peak performer. And finally, as the season closes out, we're going to be talking with folks who are on the end of their career journey and are leaving a legacy behind. And I'd call these people legacy makers, right? They're folks who are really leaving something that the industry is going to be following. And I think that every single one of these sections of the season will be really powerful. In between, we'll do a single one-off episode So that's going to be how we bookmark the season. So with all of that said, today's conversation is one that I've been looking forward to for a while. This is with a friend of mine who has just been on his own journey of coming into a business as a second generation business owner, really kind of discovering that visibility was a major, major key to starting to take control of his business and I'm really excited for you to hear the conversation. It's it's with my friend Dave Rettinger. And in the conversation, there's a lot of things that we cover. But really for him, it kind of started with a decision to say, like, what am I going to do about this? And he actually, you know, partnered with a software system called Striven to help build out frameworks and workflows within his business to give direction and visibility to his teams. And today we're going to cover all of that. I wanted to start this season out really strong with an up-and-coming leader that I believe in. With that said, I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. I've got a lot of thoughts on the back end, but for now, I'm going to jump out of the way and let you listen to it. 
Joining me from Voorhees, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia, is Dave Rettinger, principal at Rettinger Fireplace. Dave, how you doing? Good, Tim. How about yourself? I'm doing good. It's a really nice day here on the West Coast, and I've been excited for this conversation for a little bit. Likewise. So, you know, Dave, jumping into this, me and you connected, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago or so, and I feel like you know we've kind of become fast friends because I think in, in many ways, there's just been a lot of common ground that, that we've had in the industry. And as I was kind of thinking about this season, wanting to really start out talking to up and coming leaders, like truly, I mean, you were the first person that came to mind. That's why I wanted to kick this season off with you. And I guess as we start this conversation out, I know that you're a second generation business owner. And in recent years, you've started to take on you know more and more and more of that leadership mantle. Can you just talk first about what's your journey been like kind of coming into the industry as a, as a second generation owner? Absolutely, Tim. And I want to first echo your thoughts that, you know, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. I've been a fan of the podcast for a bit and am forever grateful for what you're doing for our industry. And it's inspired me to you know, take the same journey within my own company. And it's also a great feeling to know that I'm not alone in this, in this ride. It's hard to be a young leader in the hearth business, in any business. And yeah. you know, having access to peers is truly invaluable. So thanks for the doors that you're opening and the barriers you're breaking down. Oh man, appreciate that. Absolutely. So a little bit about my journey into the business. And I, and I really can't tell my story without telling a little bit of my family's story. My dad started the company when I was five years old in our basement as a one-man band. He was in the architectural supply business as a project manager and decided that fireplaces were going to be the opportunity for him. So he was the, he was the sales guy. He was the installer. He built the mantle. He would go and do the installations and do the billing and the invoicing and you name it. And I watched all this from our basement and from our garage. I took an early interest in it and always wanted to, you know, understand what my dad was doing. And, you know, if I, I actually have a time capsule where I wrote myself a letter in first grade that said, when I grow up, I want to be the vice president of Rentenger Fireplace. And that was a testimony to the fact, as my dad would always say, it was in my blood. So I always kind of knew I would make an impact in the business. But as I grew up and I became a student in college and I just wanted more dynamic, I didn't want to just jump right into the family business. I knew that there had to be some sort of breadth of experience before I decided to fully set roots. So I did some work in the hospitality industry And I also did a few years in data marketing in San Francisco. And both of these with onboarding, you know, 600 seasonal staff in a hospitality company and understanding what it means to instill company culture and new hires and have a proper onboarding process, as well as the you know, data marketing and customer engagement and re-engagement. Those were two profound impacts on, you know, what I came to bring as far as a fresh perspective and value in the family business. I always had a, a vision that I would, you know, be process oriented and it was a heavy into the, the how as opposed to the what. You know, the what was always there. You know, we were good at installing fireplaces and my parents innovated in the industry. So now it was my turn, uh, you know, the how we do it, what makes it 
all tech. And now in the past three to four years, I've really kind of shifted into a more of a leadership role. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And as you, as you talk about, you know, your dad starting the business when you were five and just watching that grow up, you know, I, my dad was a, was a mechanical engineer for, for a real stable kind of corporate job growing up. You know, I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family and I can only imagine like the ups and downs that would, that would come with that. I I have to imagine as, as, as he's starting that business out and trying to put it together and you've seen it like literally come from the ground up have you felt like the pressure of legacy weighing on you or is that not something that weighs as a huge burden? You know, it's interesting that you say that because pressure is a good way to put it, but it's also privilege because it wasn't just my dad who was in the business. It was also my mom and they were a really good duo. You know, my dad was the hardware and my mom was the software. So as the company became, you know, just one employee, my dad in our basement to five employees, 10. And then when I finally came around, you know, we were close to 15, 20 employees. It is incredible to see the successes of your family. And you start to notice, you know, the, the difference of, yeah, mom and dad are busy as ever, but you also understand why is that, you know, look at all the new faces and look at all of the, you know, building expansion and, you know, getting to see and experience that growth was, yeah, it was a legacy. But as I came of age, you know, having kind of always been there for it and, you know, listening and how my parents talked at dinner time, I was fortunate to, you know, that it came natural to just want to, you know, step into the role, understand how it worked and to bring the value that I could bring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally see that. What I'm wondering is, so you talked about in first grade, you had a time capsule where you wrote, I'm going to be the, the vice president of Redinger Fireplace. Have you always been that driven towards it? Or after you had your experience in San Francisco, working in, in data and marketing and things, kind of coming back to the business, was there a moment where it felt like, no, this is real, it's time to figure this out? Or was it kind of always that way for you? You know, it is interesting to look back because this this is all in the rear view mirror right i can remember being on the corner in san francisco before i flew home and said that i was going to rejoin the business telling my dad i'll give you five years and it was not going to be a lifelong endeavor for me i figured you know i'll work my parents into retirement and install a leadership team or, you know, maybe it sells. And, you know, that was my perspective coming in is that it was not going to be forever. And then as you start to settle into the seat and understand how each role works, you start to realize that that's not a five-year plan. That's not even a 25-year plan for some folks is that this business has so many moving parts that, there is no one way to just, this is the process and you set it and forget it and walk away. It's boots on the ground, effort every day, having to be a leader. And that's the one thing that when I came in, you knew who was in charge and it was my dad. And the reason he was in charge was that he understood how the different nuances of the business work because he built it. So I just tried to nestle in close to him. Once I realized that you know, this is not a, you know, right business policy and everything's all hunky dory. I just stayed as close to my, my mom and dad as possible. And 
really throughout that, as my dad started to open up some of the trade secrets, so to speak, of what made the business work, that's when I started to realize that this was a real niche opportunity, that yeah. being in a specialty that is you know, not uh, commercialized to the point of you know, like an auto dealership or an HVAC company, that is huge opportunity. And once I realized that and started to see what it actually took to run the business is when I just sat, sat in for the ride and, and, and hope for the best. Yeah, that's so good that you say that. I, I think that's really true about, yeah, it's a niche small business that's not been disrupted enough by commercialization and e-commerce and everything else. I mean, there's no question we are being disrupted, but not nearly to the scale of becoming a commodity like car dealerships and things like that. Exactly. I agree. Can you talk about like, what have, what have the biggest struggles been in your journey kind of taking taking over leadership in the business? Absolutely. I think one of the most obvious is overcoming the first title of boss's kid. That is, without a doubt, the first hurdle of any second generation leader is how do I get these people to believe me when I say I have their interests in mind? And a lot of our legacy employees had seen me grow up. And coming back from San Francisco, I had a man bun, a huge beard. You know, <laughs> I was like, you know, not necessarily looking like, you know, a super professional. I was definitely working as a surfing data marketing dude riding his bike around and working at, you know, a peace <laughs> camp. You know, there was like definitely a little bit of a stigma. It's like, oh, Dave's back. And, you know, the way that I, I, the only way that anyone can settle in and, and combat that is to work hard. And that is exactly what I did. And I remember one night my mom leaving, I was only back for a few weeks, but I was there late. Everybody had left and she was on her way out and she's like, wow, like you're really doing this thing. And, you know, I think it was those little moments where, you know, the, the obviously my parents and my you know the rest of the legacy staff saw that I was really leaning in. That's the way you overcome that. And the other way that I felt like I was able to overcome that boss's kid you know, stigma was that I made every legacy employee my manager, and I made them. I let them hear me say that to customers. So I would be on the showroom floor on the phone, and if I didn't have the answer to a question, I would say. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do have my manager right beside me. Let me go ahead and check with them. And I would just turn to whoever was next to me. And I think that leading with humility was absolutely key in earning respect as well as letting people give me information. Because at the end of the day, they were the people who built the company, not me. And you know, if I could break their barriers down and say, oh, I don't need to give the boss's kid any advantage in this whole thing and make it more of a collaborative, you know, more than I do. So please help me understand this. And like, you know, you're my manager. I think that that was the difference, you know, kind of, and, and it didn't take long. I mean, it was, you know, a couple of years of, you know, kind of a serving mentality and any, any legacy staff will soften up to you. Yeah, man. Gosh, that's so good. Because I, I think that the stigma is real. I've heard Grant talk about that a lot. And very often it is the legacy team members that have the hardest time with the boss's kid. I love that. I love how you said, like, I made them my manager. And I'm wondering about this, like, my my thought for this conversation, I, the, the word that came to mind when I think about, like, what is it that has marked 
your rise as an up and coming leader in the industry. I mean, the word that came to mind for me is visibility. And I don't know if that's totally it. But what, the reason I say that is like, you know, you've been starting to kind of teach all over the place on your journey with software and how that, you know, your, your software ERP system striven is kind of like unlocked a lot of opportunity and potential in, in running your business. And, and I, I feel like when I talk to you and I've kind of seen you run through demos and, and talk with business owners, so much of it has been about visibility where it's like, do you know what's going on in your company? Like, I want to, I want to kind of help you understand these different things. Can you talk just a little bit about the journey that you've had with Striven and like the visibility that you've gotten out of it? Because I feel like that's really marked your story. I really appreciate you mentioning that you are dead center, that visibility is the key to running any successful business and making educated decisions. And I came into the, the Striven software and ultimately, you know, becoming a, a partner in developing the Hearth Edition by necessity. And it came from really two big mile markers in my life as a human being and as a professional. When my parents both had some health issues, one which my dad was out for some months and I was, you know, kind of hoisted into a position of leadership. And then the other, you know, pivotal point is, you know, my mom suddenly passed away. Mm-hmm. And right after that, COVID, and I became a new dad. And all of these things happened within a four month span. Not, you know, thankfully dad, you know, was healthy during all of the, what I just talked about with mom, COVID and, and, and baby. But the reason I mention all of that is that, you know, when you are the first generation, you have the luxury of having built it. What I mean by that is that your visibility is by your own blood, sweat, and tears. You know where your leads are coming from because you were the one who set up your website and you know why, where your social media is going. That was all stuff that my mom really did a fantastic job of. And, you know, my, my dad had his visibility on, you know, what's in the warehouse and how the guys are doing just based on brute boots on the ground doing. So, that was not my journey. You know, I didn't set up our infrastructures and I didn't, you know, hire our legacy staff. So, you know, my dashboard, so to speak, was gone. You know, my mom being absent and my dad, all of us, you know, grieving. I remember showing up to work and the building being empty the first week of April in 2020 and saying to myself, how am I going to do this? What is the, I don't even know where to look. You know, of course you could go to your accounting system and see, you know, some financials and feel like, okay, yeah, we got some money in the bank. And I remember thinking like, man, how long can we keep everybody home? And, you know, how many cycles of payroll can we withstand? And doing all these things made me feel like, all right, there's gotta be a better way. You know, you have to have a pulse on, what's coming in, what's going out, not just financially, but, you know, opportunities, right? You know, you had to, you know, shrinking up the net of your leads to say, like, I can't have my leads landing in all these different places. I need every lead from every source landing in one place. 
And I can't just have haphazard communication with these leads. I need consistent intake. So what are my processes, not just for bringing on board a lead, but bringing on board a lead for a specific job type. So as I started to map out the customer journey, I was able to understand where are we weak, where are we strong, and and that was what made me realize that I need a all-in-one tool that's going to give me this visibility. And that way I'm not pulling data in and out of different programs just to, you know, maybe lose some along the way. So you are right that visibility has really been the key, you know, incentive for taking this driven journey. And, you know, as far as like what I've learned from visibility, it is that it's not all bad. You know, because that remember, you know, as you're sitting there in the leadership seat for the first time, you know, we're always led to believe that like any issue with a customer or a job is like some glaring, oh, we have this incompetency. We got we got to really get our stuff together. It's not always that way. When you have the visibility of lead to invoice, and you understand that if there is a place where we drop the ball, okay, is this a pattern? Does this keep happening? No? Okay, so it's just the human element. So, you know, when you can look at a customer's journey and understand where the different touch points were and, you know, where we were good, where we were weak, it's it's severe power as to identifying, okay, what is the next problem we're going to solve? Yeah, that that's amazing. And I, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper t- into how that journey started for you. So, you know, you're going through this upheaval of your life and like this, you know, this trauma with, with losing your mom and, and everything else that, that's going on. Where did you even start? Like, so, you, so you're, you're in this leadership spot saying, I don't even know what I'm looking at. I like, like, how do we run the business? Where is this? Like, how did you end up landing on like Striven as, as the tool? So that's a, a great question. I evaluated almost every tool that's out there. I'm sure that there are more, but I, I went through this evaluation and it really started in 2014. And then upon a, a thorough evaluation, I realized that the products I was looking at at the time could do what our current system could do. So there was no reason to change. But then what became the catalyst, aside from all the life events, was also the fact that we simply could not be the same company to 30,000 customers that we were to 10,000 customers. Hmm. Facing that fact of what brought you here will not get you there is what really led me down the taking action. And once we landed on Striven, and and I should say what really brought us to Striven was the fact that we could run a lead to invoice process without leaving the system. And Hmm. Once we you know, figured out that this is the customer's journey and this is how we want this to go every time, it became a repeatable thing. And now it's, okay, if you do identify another problem in the system, that's the next hill that we're going to take. Makes total sense. And, it, and it, I mean, from the conversations we had and what I've seen, it seems like your business is set up now where you've got a lot of blinking lights on your dashboard, right? If you want to look at metrics on how your sales team is doing, you can very easily go in and get 
some kind of report or a dashboard showing you what's going on. I remember in my old company, we had a, a scheduling software system that we actually created. And, you know, owning your own software, there's, there's blessings and curses to that. But in our scheduling system, we had stuff color-coordinated, right? So our service area was color-coordinated to red, green, yellow, gray, and texts were coordinated as well. So if we ever had a question, you know, if today's a, a red day, everything's happening in the red area. And if there's a blue call, well, that's not going to be today. That's going to be a day where we've got the tech in the blue area. And I think that sometimes this goes back to what you said a little while ago, that without visibility, everything escalates to a 10 out of 10 where it's like, Oh my gosh, like Mrs. Smith had this happen and she's furious, you know, and and she might be furious. Maybe, maybe it actually is a 10 out of 10, but a lot of the time it's not, we just don't know how to prioritize the urgency. So we make it super urgent. And by putting in some, some ground rules of like, Hey, today we're in the red area or like in your case, Hey, we're in this zip code today. So we want all of our service calls or six service calls to be in here. Now, when a customer calls and is upset, well, it's like, well, they're already upset. So if we, if we stretch everything and run a tech ragged to make it happen today, maybe everything works out, but our tech is going to be furious at us because they're driving forever, they're home late. And, and if there's a mistake, your customer is worse off than they were before versus if you just tell the customer, we can't do anything about it today, but we can come out tomorrow or we can come out on Thursday when we're going to be in that area. You know, the customer's already upset. They may not like it, but you're playing offense now and you're able to proactively go out and do it versus reacting to everything. And and to me, like that's such a key that, that applies to everything, like to service, to sales, to, to everything else. I agree 100%. You have to instill in your staff that the only real emergency in anyone's world really is that they're in danger. But I, I say to our staff that like, if this person's in danger, they've called the wrong people. They need to call <laughs> 911 because there's no possible way that we're going to be able to get somebody there. There's resources in their town to do that. So you like, I, well, and I don't mean to be so like, you know, macabre about like the nature of when customers get angry is that like, you know, it's very true that, you know, that's a that's a customer service skill that is is definitely it's it's a teachable trainable skill that is you know connect with the customer if we did something wrong admit fault like just absolutely yes i understand you know we told you this this is you know it didn't happen like whatever it is once you meet them on the grounds of yes you're right and we want to make this right and they know that you're doing everything you can, it's okay if it's not today. You know, like just instilling that good faith that we're going to make this right. And having, like you said, having a tool to understand what happened and having visibility into, oh yeah, we really, we did like, you know, order the wrong part or we did tell her that we were coming and, you know, somehow it got rescheduled without telling her. Yeah, I, I agree. And I guess, and this is kind of varying a little bit off the, the visibility conversation, but as you said it, it, it made me think. So, you know, as you have built out this software system for your company, like you've built out a whole bunch of different frameworks in it. And so have you been able to outline like when someone takes a service call, they open up their computer and there's like the questions in front of them to prompt them. Like, can you talk about how that has evolved and how that's helped your team? 
Absolutely. Workflows are you know, the, the number one thing that we use inside of Striven. And it's basically a consistent customer experience. So like you said, if a customer calls and I should back up too to say that we do this on our website as well, is that if it's a service customer, they take a different journey than a sales customer. And if and to go deeper to delineate, uh, we will even go as far as say like, are they an existing service customer or are they a new service customer? Because if they're new, I have a whole series of questions that we're going to need to have answered before we determine whether or not we're the right fit. If they're existing, that's as simple as hop on the phone, pull up the record, get them scheduled, and you know, wish them a happy day. You know, that's so yes, having those processes in place and having the staff, you know, equipped with the tools to know if I end up in this situation, these are the questions that I need to ask and I can't really proceed to the next step unless I get them answered. That is how you kind of tighten up the top of the funnel. And that goes for service as well as for sales. So one thing I'm wondering is, I think that a lot of people that are listening to this that that you know maybe they're familiar with the work that you've been doing now that you're becoming more and more of a teacher in the industry but if someone's like man so you've got these workflows built out for like how do I take a phone call how do I you know do a sale how do I do an install where do I find time to do this stuff like where did you have time to create these workflows I mean, I will absolutely admit that a lot of this work was done in the wee hours of the morning and the, and the wee hours of the night. It, you know, there's no doubt that if you're going to make marked progress on your business, it's not going to happen during nine to five hours. The, you know, that is the whirlwind of your business. And unless you block out the time, I mean, it's totally fair if, you know, you, you don't want to work yourself, you know, off a cliff, then, you know, to block that time out during work hours. But I am a believer that, you know, almost all of the progress that I've made in helping the company, you know, instill process has been in the off hours time. And then when it happens during work hours time, I'm pulling in the people who are involved and I'm not worried about, you know, am I missing out on an opportunity right now when I have my sales and sales staff and sales training is that opportunity that I may be missing because of timing is not as important as to all the opportunities that we're going to lead down the funnel by shrinking up our, our net. And I, I always use this analogy of like the fishing net is like, you know, we went from like the big, like Marlin, fishing net to like it like the sand sifter on the beach like because we want to make sure that if anyone falls through that it really wasn't a fit for us because like we're in the business of you know mining some some really small jewels not going out there and catching these giant giant fish that's so huge i think about this i I empathize with it but I, i think that so many retailers feel just spent you know man i mean i'm so tired at the end of the day like I, I don't have time to do anything but like sit down and watch Netflix or just go to sleep. And I, I empathize with that. But one of the things that's so tough, I was talking about this with Matt Bradley the other day. I think there's a lot of folks that complain about being hurt by self-inflicted wounds. And, wow. you know, it's, and I think that if we think about that, like, why are we so tired? Well, we don't have enough staff. Okay, totally fair. Do you have a training program for your company? You don't have a training program. Well, it's be pretty hard to 
hire new staff when there's no way to train them, you know? Well, our salespeople aren't, aren't doing the job that they should. Okay, I, man, I get that. That, that, is, that is tough. How often do you train your salespeople? Like, is it, is it every week that they, that they practice getting better? Do they have a sales process to follow? How many customers a week does your sales team follow up with? You know, you start asking these questions and it's like, well, man, you know, if, if we don't have sales meetings, we don't have sales goals, we don't follow up with our customers. I, I get, I get how there's a sales problem, right? You know, with install, you know, well, you know, we can't hire our installers. Well, do you have, do you have a training program for your installers? And again, and, and, and this isn't to, to put people down because like all of our businesses have spots you, you could point the finger at where things could be tighter. But the point is, is that we have to admit that many of, of the wounds suffered in our industry are self-inflicted. And if we're suffering from a self-inflicted wound, I get that it hurts, but nothing will change or get better until we do, you know? And, and I think that, I think that what, what you've started to do is by, you know, carving out time in the, in the wee hours of the night or the early morning, even though that's difficult, is creating those workflows is everything. Like when we know how to take a call from a customer and, and triage them to the right spot and then we can train to that. And then we can probably do it a little bit quicker. And maybe it's not quite as stressful next time because if they're upset, we know what to do. That is what starts to buy us time. And I think it's true. You have to make it. But yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what you think about this. I feel like well, I, me and Matt Bradley at Wi-Fi, we always call it playing offense versus playing defense, right? When, when, when you're in the whirlwind of your business, so much of that is playing defense. You're just reacting, right? Where are they going? Okay, I got to play defense here. When, when you're up at night, carving out a workflow that's you playing offense and i feel like you don't have to play that much offense if you can spend two hours a week playing offense i think that that can start to move the needle like it's not like you got to put in hundreds and hundreds of hours at first we'll get back to our conversation with dave rettinger in just one second hey if you've been listening to this conversation and thinking oh my gosh like i need frameworks for my business how do i start to get visibility into actually knowing what to do next well you have to take advantage of the online firetime workshop so back in may of 2022 we got together in seattle washington with a small group of business leaders and spent three days together going through the 10-step execution process to run a job from start to finish now we documented the entire thing and have it available as an online course that's broken into seven modules. I'm telling you that this thing is an absolute game changer and the folks that we've seen already take advantage of the online course have just been raving about it. So if you've been wondering, you know, how is it that we keep going out to jobs without the right vent pipe or why is it that my sales team keeps setting up the install for failure because of things they're telling the customer? Well, it's because they don't have a process to follow. So this workshop is going to teach you the seven steps to go through to be able to keep jobs on the rails and to solve problems when they come up versus repeating them over and over again. So to get the Firetime Workshop, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. And I'm telling you, you're going to get a bonus. You're going to get a keynote address that Grant and I gave at the very beginning of the workshop that's all about 
the mindset and the mentality of what it takes to dive in and crush this. And we also did a showroom rapid fire where we went through the ins and outs of exactly what you need in your showroom to move the needle. So you can get all that by signing up for the online Firetime workshop today. Would you agree that like just a few hours here and there, as long as it's consistent, can start to move things forward? Absolutely. A simple beginning is all that's needed, you know, and, and just having the willingness to look at the how. If you don't look at the how, then the what will always remain the way it is, right? And that's, okay. that's can you like, can you can you break that down for me? Can you break that down specifically? So I'll say as simple as how you bring a lead into your system, right? Before, and it, you know, no fault of our own, but before it would, you know, be an email. You have a new lead. That email would be forwarded to a salesperson, or maybe the person who you know was managing the leads would pick up the phone and you know do an initial call and try and get them in the showroom, and then that would be it. And you know, if they didn't, if they showed up in the showroom, great. If not, you know, hopefully they made it into our system but so so simply like you know that's just like if you're not willing to look at that you know like and and say all right well i mean we started by like all right let's put these into a a spreadsheet that was like a simple beginning and we did that and we were like wow we get a lot of leads like this is so cool and then you know you see that and you're like well well what happened now you're seeing the spreadsheet and you're like oh these are the ones that sold these are ones that didn't what about all those so now you that that simple like deciding to put your leads into a spreadsheet, awesome. Or like Wi-Fi is a great example of like, as soon as you start to like have a CRM dashboard, I mean, now you can actually action on your leads. Whereas before, if you were just letting your leads come in and your job was to just like give them a call and invite them into the showroom or try, you know, try to get them a blind quote over the phone. I mean, getting a quote would be great, but you know, cause at least then you know that their data is in your system. I mean, that's like my biggest fear is the capture rate is that if I have disparate, you know, data, like how do I know like my true closing rates? Another how would be even like a blind call that comes in on the phone is our process before was, hey, when are you guys open? Oh, we're Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, Saturday, 10 to 4. Okay, great. Yeah, we're going to stop in. Okay, great. Well, how do you know that that customer is not going to end up at your competitor by mistake? So like, it's a great example of like, you're just going to let that phone call go and not say, yeah, absolutely. We're here Monday through Friday, nine to five, Saturday, 10 to four. We have a sales staff here who's fully trained and educated as well as some burning products on display. I'd love to get you set up with the consultation. So we're expecting you. When do you think you're planning to come in? You know, that is such a simple, you know, rather than just like, I think you talk about this in your process of information giving, it's expressing that sincere interest in what they're looking to accomplish. Like if I just tell somebody our hours and hope that they come in, that's way less effective than saying, when do you plan to come in? I'll make sure that the sales staff is expecting you. And then once you get to that level, it's, well, so what is bringing you in? Oh, I'm thinking about converting my fireplace from what to get. Great. So now you've just identified what kind of lead you have without just yeah. like, hey, nine to five, hang up the phone. Like, Dude, you know, how much, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I got to jump in because what you just said is oh, so true. And I'm just imagining like 
90% of retailers will say, oh, we're open 9 to 5. Thanks. See you later. But when when you do just what you said and you, and you say, well, hey, well, what time are you going to be in? Okay, perfect. You know, Susie's going to be here that day. I'm going to make sure that she's expecting you. And by the way, what, what is the reason you're coming in? Oh, you want to go from wood to gas. Okay, cool. So do you have a, oh, you have a masonry fireplace now. Oh, great. And, and have you been burning wood in it? Oh, you, you haven't been. You got candles inside of it. Okay, perfect. I'm going to make sure that Susie knows that, right? So then you write Susie a note. Hey, Susie, Joe and Cindy Smith are coming in on Saturday. They have a masonry fireplace. They don't burn wood in it. They've got candles inside, and they're really excited about converting to gas. Now, when, when they come in, and Susie goes, hey, you know, I, I, I talked to I talked to our team and, and I'm super excited to hear about your project so we don't have to be burning those candles anymore. Now customers feel comfortable and, and your company has just won like five points in the race to 10 points because you are doing what you said you do when you said you would do it, right? Your team is ready. They know what's going on. They're ready to help. And I, I've literally had, had companies I've talked to that, that will not make showroom appointments because they're like, well, we don't have enough staff. Like, what if someone else? What what if someone else walks in right before? And it's like, well, you have an appointment. Like, you don't you don't talk to the person right before, or like you tell the person right before, hey, I have an appointment in five minutes. I'd love to help you, but I'm gonna have to st-. like. Can, sorry, I'm sorry to jump in, but like all those thoughts just flooded through my mind as you said that. Oh yeah, and I mean, I would say that that was the first thing that we did with Striven was identify our process for intake, right? And, and putting a name on it, right? It's like, what stage are they? Oh, they're at intake, right? Like I have them set up with a customer record. I have a general idea of what they're looking to accomplish. And we have a next step, which is either a phone or showroom consultation. And if, if you're a sales rep and you could literally walk into every sales consultation, whether it's on the phone or in the showroom, and be teed up with some photos, some initial questions that were answered, and not having to type in the customer's data. I mean, how stoked are you? You just added oh, hours you're pumped. to your day. Yeah. So, I mean, I will say that like one of the you know silver bullets of our bandwidth issues that, like you said, you know, complain about self-inflicted wounds, and like, you know, I don't need to hire two more salespeople. I need three customer service reps that know how to be awesome and friendly, take data, get people set up, ask for some general information and schedule a sales staff to put yeah. a consultation in front, you know, in front. So yeah, definitely. I mean, that was just one example of the how. Yeah. Gosh, it's so good. And I mean, I, I think it all really does stem back to visibility. Like obviously no business is perfect, but from what you've laid out with your workflows and with what Striven's given you, like, you know, you as a business owner have visibility into what's going on here what's going on here what's going on here but i'm just even thinking about your team like when your team has visibility of like how do we intake a customer well now they have visibility to that where where for you know without that it's like well you know it's like you got a blindfold on in the woods okay where do i go with this customer i I don't know just start walking can't see anything but like just start walking and, and hope that we drop the customer off at the right spot like creating that visibility where the team knows how to get from here to there is so powerful. And, and again, I think this is the difference between first generation and second generation is like first generation. I love what you said. You've got visibility because you built it. I know where I put that hammer because 10 years ago I left it right here. You know, exactly. I know where, where everything is because I built it and there's an intuitive knowledge that comes with that. But that intuitive knowledge, it can't be transferred the same way to more people. 
And I, I think that the job of the second generation owner is to take the amazing thing that's been built by intuition, hard work, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and and it has to become something else. It has to become a, a different kind of machine that probably needs a lot more infrastructure to run, but it's a lot more robust machine that can become bigger and, and move faster than before. You're exactly right. And it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, being the company that the community needs us to be. You know, mm. Because as your reputation strengthens and as, you know, if you're putting in X amount of fireplaces per year, that is X amount of repeat service business. And when you start to look at the exponential effect of your just existing and doing a good job, you're going to be put in the pressure cooker. Like if you mm. don't install new process, install new software and give your team the tools that they need to give the customer a modern shopping experience. Because not only are customers increasing in volume, they're increasing in expectation. I love that, man. So for someone listening, if they're like, okay, I'm sick of it. I got to start getting visibility. Where would you start if you were in, in their shoes? I would recommend identifying one problem per team. So for, like we just talked about, the people answering the phones, what's the number one problem? For us, it was, we need to capture more lead data and more lead insights. Okay, so let's, how are we going to solve that problem? By installing an intake process. And then for sales, my first thing would be to recommend listening to your podcast because that (laughs) has been an absolute game changer. Letting our sales staff listen to the seven-step sales process, absolutely a game changer. And then trying to actually implement some of those principles of, you know, if you have a customer for this job type, what do you do? How do you even identify that you have them for that job type, right? So it's one hill per team. You cannot have more than one problem that you're trying to tackle because what you'll find is that if you identify the most important hill to take, you're going to have to steamroll all these foothills to get there. So you're just going to, you are going to solve multiple problems by attacking one. So that would be for installers. If it's a return trip thing, you know, let's, let's look at how we're going to, it's that, it's that on the way in mentality of like, what can I influence proactively rather than reactively? Not like I need to hire a guy to run parts all around every day. Like that's not a solution. It is, you know, looking at what's on the way in. So again, for us, it was quality of leads. Then the next step was quality of sales discovery. And then the next was, you know, quality of site inspection data. And then from there to, you know, I mean, that's really the the installers, when they make mistakes, it's because we set them up for failure. You have to know this. Like, it is never good to, you know, make your, like the last thing your installer wants is to leave a job incomplete. I I can't, I don't, I haven't met an installer who's like, yeah, I left another one totally in the (laughs) dust. Like every installer is like so bummed that they were like, they drove 30 minutes to get to this house and they didn't get it done. Like. Don't and they're going to have to drive back to a yeah. furious customer to do it the second time. Yeah, don't kick them while they're down. Like, you know, give them the tools. You know, I, and, and really, that would be the next recommendation. So first recommendation, choose one hill per team. The second recommendation is advocate for your staff. Every last one of them, you are their servant. You know, when you lead, 
with a serving attitude and with a how can I give you the tools necessary to do your job, you'll be amazed by the, the kind of feedback you start to get when they believe that you're more of a, an, an empowering leader than just someone who's like, oh, why'd you, why'd you guys leave that job incomplete again? Or salespeople, you're, you're like, the, look, at the, look at the backlog, it's, it's down. Like, you know, you never come in and, you know, uh, there's always a time to drop a hammer, but it's never if you haven't like first looked into set, ask yourself yeah. the question, have I given them the tools to succeed? Gosh, dude, that is so good. So good. You know, so for, for people listening, I, I know that, you know, you're starting to teach more and more. You're a big advocate for Striven. If people want to get a hold of you and just, and just learn more about what you're doing and, and, you know, specifically look at Striven, where can they do that? Absolutely. Feel free to call our store, you know, Rettinger Fireplace in New Jersey. Our staff would, would be happy to, to hear from you and, and set you up with a time to speak with me. You can also email me. It's david at rettingerfireplace.com. I'm happy to you know answer any questions. And if you're interested in learning more about Striven, you can just go simply go to striven.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-N.com, and just go to solutions at, by industry and go to hearth services for the hearth edition. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes too so, so that people can find it. Dave, this is awesome, man. I, I just appreciate hearing from you. And I think that I know I'm better for it. I think our audience is too. So thanks for being here today. Tim, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you guys got a ton of value out of that conversation. There was so much that I took away. You know, David's become a fast friend. And as I watch him in his journey, it's so apparent that he is going to be one of the premier leaders in our industry in the years to come. And I thought there was just so much wisdom that that he had, you know, thinking about like the idea of visibility I, I think that what he said was so true about how for his dad coming into the business, and I should say his mom as well, as they built the business, there's a level of visibility that they have because they, they put everything there themselves when they built it, right? They know exactly where the stud is behind the drywall because they were the one that put the stud in, right? They know exactly what to do in this situation because they built it. And the first generation has that intuitive visibility, but eventually... It, it grows beyond them. And, and that intuitive visibility really can't be easily taught. And so the job of the second generation is to come in and look at how do we start to document things and create workflows. And, and it does mean that there will be more infrastructure that's needed. We'll probably have to have more people in the company to do this, but that's the way that we get stability and that's the way that we set ourselves up to grow long-term. And I, I think that that's really, really true. You know, when, when David talked about how he made every legacy staff member his manager... I, I thought that that was incredible, and it's such a mark of humility coming in as the boss's kid to try to overthrow the stigma that comes with that, and and I think that if, if you're in a similar situation, it might be worth taking that approach, and when you think about it, like the legacy staff is nervous because they're thinking, well, does, has this kid earned it? Are they going to try to change everything? You know, I've been here for a long time. I, there's, I, I know more than them. And I think that making the legacy staff your manager and saying, hey, how can I learn from you? 
What would you do in this situation? How have you been doing this? Over time, that sets you up to become trusted to where when you take on the mantle of being the company leader, oftentimes the the legacy staff can be rooting for you because they feel like you're one of them. So I I thought that that was super, super good. As, As he talked about like, what to do to gain visibility. You know, he, he's got a software program that he uses that's been really, really helpful as you, as you heard him talk about it. But I loved his advice at the end that each team in a company should tackle one problem, right? Only have them take one hill. So often as leaders, we want our staff to do everything. And we have this idea and this idea. Well, could you do this too? What about this? Hey, this isn't getting done. And and truly, it sets people up for burnout and for failure. By giving your staff one clear objective to go after, they have clarity and they have focus. And it's the difference between a flashlight and a laser beam. You know, you want to give your team a focused laser beam to use. When you turn into a flashlight, it's not effective at all. And, and truly, your team will just spin their wheels and spin their wheels. And they'll either burn out and quit or they won't deliver results, but yet they'll continue to spin just as fast. So I I love that idea of like one hill per team. And your company may be small, so maybe a team is one person. That's okay. What's one hill they can take? And then you as the leader can come alongside and empower them, right? Just like Dave said, you know, you can be an advocate for your staff, right? If they're trying to take that hill, they're running into an obstacle, you should be the first one to jump in and help them do it. So, you know, for me, I I, I took away a lot in that conversation that like, you know, building out a workflow for, for, every area of your business is so important. And this does not make people robots. We didn't talk about this as much in the conversation, but like when you've got a workflow of how to take a call and triage a customer to the, the appropriate next step, that is not a robot, but that provides a framework where now you can focus on being human because you don't have to worry about what's next. For me, like, you know, as I travel around and, and, and some of his work on showroom floors, I, I always use Wi-Fi to help customers and Wi-Fi has got like a pre-scripted list of questions and I literally will like pull out my laptop with a customer and go through the questions and it's like the same questions, they're pre-scripted and it does not make me a robot, it makes me a human and I don't need to worry about what's the next question to ask because the computer has it for me. Instead, I can focus on listening. I can ask questions that aren't in the computer system because my brain is focusing on the customer and how to solve their problems. So, you know, I, I thought that there was just a ton there. And, and you know, listening to this, you might be in a position where, you know, there's some embarrassment that's felt of like, well, I don't, I don't have these frameworks. I don't have this visibility. And Sam, I, I feel like I am the person that's complaining about being hurt from self-inflicted wounds. And, and you know, that's okay. Like, we've all been there before. But we, we want to do something about it. And now's the time. So, so start carving out that time and think about like, what's one workflow that I could put together. Maybe it's the workflow of like when a customer walks in the showroom, what's the workflow to get them from coming in the door blind to walking out with a written estimate. That's a great workflow to develop. And then you can train your team to it and, it and it makes life just so much better. So I thought it was awesome getting to talk to David and, and there was just a lot of insight in that conversation. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, 
patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And you know, as you're listening to this, like we are starting to get into the heart of the payoff season. And, you know, Grant has really helped me start to change my language in, in, in saying payoff season instead of busy season. And and now is the time to get that return on investment, right? But think about like this week, what's one thing you could do to be an advocate for your team? What's one thing you could do to lighten the load, right? They're going out, they're trying to hustle Every day, just like David said, no installer wants to leave a job incomplete. They want to complete it, but so often they're set up for failure. How can you be an advocate to help them carry the load this week? If you can do that, I think you guys are going to win. So hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. We'll be back again next week, and I'm excited to talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burn and burn.